You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated and good morning to you all. 10 o'clock for those who are seated on the floor or standing or in the lobby on the floor, we apologize. Let me just say, if any of you ever, I don't know, maybe beginning next week, can make it to 1120, there's about 1,400 people in here right now. There's usually 600 that come to 1120, so you can actually lay down in a row if you want to at 1120. <laughs> but uh, we would, we'd love to see um, all of you every Sunday, but if some of y'all could think about maybe considering adjusting to 1120, that gives you more time to sleep or more time to go grab coffee before, or for those who actually study, study a little bit before church starts. Um, but so glad all you're here today. Again, if you're on the uncomfortable floor or on the floor in the lobby, um, thank you for suffering through today. I'll try to make this a short hour and a half sermon so we can get through this very quickly. <laughs> to students and to families who have been away for the holidays, welcome back. We always miss you when you're gone. You're here on a good Sunday. We're here on a good Sunday to learn about some things that that perhaps we often don't consider enough. We're starting a brand new series today called The War of Prayer. And if you think all you see is all that there is, this is going to be a confusing five weeks for you. But if you think there is more happening than what you see, this will be a clarifying five weeks for you. If you think that all you see is all that there is, then you're probably losing a lot of spiritual battles. But if you think there is more happening than what you physically can see, I pray that these next five weeks equip you to win more spiritual battles. I mean, there are battles going on in this room right now, spiritually. There are battles going on across our city right now, spiritually. There are spiritual battles over your heart right now. Invisible battles in this room, invisible battles in this city, invisible battles over your heart and your mind right now. What does that battle feel like right now over your heart? Well, here's probably how it feels for a lot of you in this room. Do I believe this or do I disbelieve this? The battle this evening for you is going to be, do I honor myself Or do I honor God? The battle of your heart this week is going to look just like this. Do I choose to obey God or am I going to to choose to, to disobey God? See, there's invisible battles happening all in this room right now, happening over your heart probably right now. Every Christian in this room feels it. And we feel it every day. What is this battle? With your copy of God's word, would you turn with me, please, to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 these next several weeks. If you're relatively new to church, relatively new to opening up a Bible, the book of Ephesians is the 10th book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 6, um, really just two verses today, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. But once you turn there, can I encourage you to go ahead and keep your Bible open to this passage the rest of this morning, or your smart device open to this passage the rest of the morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 11. I'll say it again as you turn there. If you think all there is is what you can see, you're missing out 
on what's happening around your heart and around this city and around this room. Ephesians 6, verse, verse 10. Paul is wrapping up this letter to the church at Ephesus. He has talked about families in verse 6 and about relationships, excuse me, in chapter 6. Then he comes to, to verse 10. He says, now finally... Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We're going to look at four things. In fact, you may want to circle these four things if you're okay in writing in your Bible and you should be okay in writing in your Bible. Here are the four things. The devil, that's our enemy. You can circle that. The schemes, that's the plans against us. The strength and then how to, four things, stand against. How, how do we fight? So you have three these, the devil, the schemes, the strength, and then how to stand against, how we, how we fight. You need to know, I need to know, we need to know that it's not just us and God. In simple American Christianity, we've reduced it to just us and God. There's a third variable that we absolutely have to factor into everything in the Christian life. And that's an enemy that every Christian in this house has. Believers in this house, we have a common mutual enemy. And if you overlook that enemy or you neglect to even think about that enemy or the existence of a spiritual war going on in this room, going on in Waco, going on over your heart and mind from a very real enemy, then you will constantly live in defeat. If you neglect the biblical spiritual truth in Christianity that you have an enemy, you will always be in defeat. You'll either always be in defeat, you'll always ask yourself, why do I keep on losing? Why do I keep on losing every battle in life? So we need to know our enemy. The first thing we need to know in a fight is, well, we need to know who we're fighting against. I grew up here in Waco. This is my hometown Attended Mountain View Elementary, go Mustangs, many, many semesters ago. One of my best friends, Brent, uh, he, his house backed up to Mountain View, actually the playground there at Mountain View. He lived on Mount Carmel. And we had a tree house. His dad helped build a tree house in the back of, of, of their house that backed up right to Mountain View. And from that tree house, as you know, third, fourth graders, we used to launch things from, from the tree house to to the playground. I know there's a, a wide range of, of ear ages here today, so I'll just leave it at we launched things from, from the treehouse to, to the playground. Well, one day when we were launching something from, from the treehouse onto Mountain View Playground, it almost hit somebody. It didn't hit him, but it almost hit somebody. And, and this guy got really angry. A guy, he was a kid. He was very angry. And he, he came storming over to the fence line of, of Brent's house and began to yell at us to come down and fight him for launching things at him. Well, I looked at Brent, and I looked at Trey, and I knew these guys aren't gonna fight, and so I just walked down the, the treehouse, jumped the little fence, started walking toward this guy, and as I was walking toward him, I realized that he wasn't the kid, I was the kid. I was a fourth grader, and he was a sixth grader, and I knew this guy. His name was Arms Chapman. And let me just, a little side note, you know, in the story, don't fight anybody whose first name is Arms. And so I went and fought <laughs> Arms. And I walked up to him and I realized as I was getting closer who this, who this was, right? Like he was a sixth grader. He already had a tattoo. 
His, you know, his kids were cheering him on in this fight, you know, behind him. I was like, man, this, this was a very unwise assessment of the situation. But at that point, guys, I couldn't retreat because I knew that Brent and Trey were staring through the slats in the treehouse, those weenies, you know, just kind of watching me walk out there toward defeat. And so I just walked right up to, to arms and about two feet in front of him, which is perfect, right within his swing radius. And so I stood about two feet in front of him and I was looking to the sun. So I was kind of squinting a little bit as I was coming and I stopped and he was a southpaw. He punched me squarely in my right jaw. And it spun me around and I staggered. And I just walked back to, to the treehouse <laughs> with real tears coming down my, my face. And to this day, I remember what I thought. He, he really hit me. Like I thought this was gonna be like a, a war of words or I was gonna make fun of his mom, whatever. And it ended up like he punched me right, right in the face. And so I, I came back super, super defeated because I mean, one, I did not really take into account who my enemy was nor what his tactics were going to be. I mean, we lose spiritually like this all the time. We don't know our enemy and we don't know his tactics. So biblically, let's look very quickly together at, first of all, our enemy, because we need to know who we're fighting. If you're a note taker, this is going to be a note taking paradise these next few weeks. Our enemy, we need to know who we're fighting. First of all, about our enemy, he's not God. Satan is not the opposite and equal of, of God or equal to God. He was created by God. So the creator is greater than the created. But Satan rebelled against God. He declared war on God. But his doom is sure. He is a defeated foe. So he's not God. So if somewhere in the back of your mind, you have some pictures that somewhere in the universe, God and, and Satan are arm wrestling one another and God's just trying to hang on and God's sweating it through in, in the wrestling match. That is a very spiritually, biblically inaccurate picture. God is already the victor. And we already know the demise of the enemy in the end. So he is not God. Satan is not the opposite and equal to God. Secondly, he does not have God's attributes. God can be everywhere. Satan can't. God knows everything. Satan doesn't. God reads your mind and your thoughts. Satan cannot do that. So there are some limiting things to him. He's, he's not God and he doesn't have God's attributes. Those are the limiting things. You need to understand, however, the powerful things, which is thirdly, he's very powerful. He's capable. He's a capable angel. And he rules, listen, he rules the cultures and the systems of this world. He also rules every non-believer in this world. Maybe even some non-believers in this house today. Let me show you that biblically. Go back just one page, maybe two pages, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. It's not on the screen, but it is in your Bible or on your smartphone. We'll pick it up in verse 1, get a good runway to it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So Paul is writing to believers here. You were dead in the trespasses, the sins in which you once walked. And you were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan. The spirit, the spirit of Satan that is now at work, working in non-believers, the sons of disobedience. So he's a very capable angel, rules the culture, rules the systems of the world, and rules non-believers. He's very powerful. Here's the fourth thing I want you to know about the enemy. He's an observer of human history. And this might rattle our cages the most today. That he's been watching the condition of humanity for thousands of years now. And he knows our impulses. 
and he knows what we respond to. And, and, and he knows what, what, what revs us towards sin. He's an observer of human history for thousands of years, so he understands how to read people. Again, as affirmation, he can't read your mind, but he can read your life and your body language and your words. He can hear your words. He can see your actions. Here, this is always humbling to me. The enemy sees my sin when I act in sin. He hears my words when my, my words are angry or my words are defensive or my words are arrogant. He he hears those things. So you need to know that he is real. He is really powerful. He's really at work in our city, in our nation, and around the world today. You can look around and see, certainly he is at work. Look at the hatred. Look at the vision. Look at the abuse, the racism, abortion. Using people as pawns, lies, modern day slavery, the breakdown of, of the family, addictions, oppression, of course, we have an enemy that's at work even today within the systems and the culture of this world. So fifthly, lastly, on our enemy, we need to be careful not to make too much of him or too little of him. Let me say this. If you never consider him, you're already halfway to defeat. But if you think about him all the time, you've given him way too much credit. Here's what I'm trying to say. He's a worthy adversary, but for those in Christ, he is just one word away from having to flee you. The name of Jesus. But what does a spiritual attack feel like then? Maybe some of you are thinking now, maybe there's been some spiritual battles going on over my heart, in my life, in my home, in my marriage, in my friendships, at work, in my neighborhood. Maybe I've just never seen those before or know what they are. So what does a spiritual attack look like? I got two F's and two D's for you. First of all, feelings of fear, which sounded just like my Baylor transcript. Feelings of fear and, and fatigue. Feelings of fear Feelings of fatigue, that's, that's what it feels like to be in a place of spiritual attack. Feelings of fear, you fear, fear that you're gonna be alone. You fear that you're gonna be left out. You have this obsessive fear of something or obsessive fear for something. And then fatigue, fatigue has always been a place all throughout scripture where the enemy loved to come in and, and attack God's people. When I say fatigue, I mean spiritually tired, too exhausted to do the right thing too tired to be in God's word, too exhausted to pray, too exhausted to be in church. That those are points of, of spiritual attack. And we see it biblically. We see it experientially in our lives as well. The enemy loves to come in at those places of fear, loves to come in those places of fatigue. Here's the next two, feelings of defeat and feelings of depression. The enemy loves to come in and attack loves to come in and tempt right in those places. When I say defeat, I mean, you're just overwhelmed with constantly losing. You're just losing all the battles. You're losing all the spiritual battles. You think you've lost way too many times. You've lost too many times to pornography. You've lost too many times to alcohol. You've lost too many times to crossing the line. You've cheated way too many times. You've lied way too many times. And you've come to this place of just this feeling of, of defeat. You cannot move past the addiction. The enemy loves to come in a spiritual battle and attack you right there at that place of defeat and, and depression. I don't mean clinical depression. I mean being downcast. Like you just don't feel like you'll ever have joy again. Laughter has ceased for you. And it's just this place of, of attack. The enemy loves to come in. These feelings of defeat, these feelings of, of depression. I guess the other D would be despair. And I have an R word, also revenge. If you have a spirit of revenge, oh man, the enemy loves to come in. When you're in a place of revenge, I need to get him back. I need to get her back for what they said, for what they did. Those are places where spiritual attacks happen. Really, I guess, kind of the 
overarching thing I want to tell you is that attacks, you may want to write this down somewhere, attacks will always be at the point of being tempted to live outside of the gifts that God has given you in Christ Jesus. The attacks will always come to the point at the place of the gifts that you have from God through Christ Jesus, that's where the enemy loves to come and attack. Let me, let me just prove that to you. In the feelings of, of fear, you see Christ has come in and given us peace. And so the enemy loves to take away that peace or to pull us away from peace and to move us instead on, on to fear. In Christ, we have rest. And so that spiritual attack is fatigue. I'm just spiritually worn out. I'm spiritually fatigued. In Christ, we have victory. So the enemy loves to come and replace victory with, with defeat. In Christ, we have the fullness of joy, the fullness of life. So the enemy loves to come in and try to replace that with, with depression. Satan always attacks at the level of the gifts that we have in Christ Jesus. I'll give you some more, some more thoughts here. In Christ, we have hope. So what does the enemy do? He tries to make us feel hopeless. In Christ, we've been forgiven so the enemy loves to come in and say, you're not forgiven. You know what you've done? You know how many times you've done that? There's no way that you are forgiven. In Christ, we've been adopted. The enemy loves to come in and says, you can't be adopted. God does not love you that much. In Christ, we have purpose. So the enemy loves to come in and try to take away that purpose or take away that plan. I'll say it again. Attacks will always be at the point of being tempted to live outside of the gifts that God has given you in Christ Jesus. So what are the schemes of the enemy. That's the verse we see here in verse 11. I hope your Bible's still open. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Put on then the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The word schemes there in, in Greek is the Greek word methodia, where we get our English word method or methodology. So there's a method, if you will, to, to the plans. There's a craftiness to the plans of the enemy. There's a methodology from the enemy over our lives. And so this, he, he's never been original. I mean, Satan is not a very creative fellow at, at all. In fact, Paul, when he was writing to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter two, he says, we are not unaware of his schemes. So let me just kind of give you Satan's four-pronged strategy that you see from Genesis to Revelation so that this week you can identify when the enemy comes in to attack you. Here, here is the methodology. Here's the craftiness. Here's the scheme of the enemy. First of all, when you're feeling doubtful, he'll minimize God's word. We're feeling doubtful about life, doubtful about the existence of God, doubtful about his plans, doubtful about his redemptive plan in Christ Jesus. What the enemy does, he'll come in and he'll minimize God's word. We saw this all the way back in Genesis chapter three. When the enemy came to Eve and said, remember, did God really say? The enemy will always come and try to minimize the authority of God's word, try to minimize the accuracy of, of God's word. That's been his plan from the very beginning. Feeling doubtful, he'll minimize God's word. Here's the second thing. Feeling empty, he'll minimize God's goodness. If you feel empty this week at some point, emotionally empty, relationally empty, financially empty, the enemy loves to come and try to minimize God's goodness. When, when we feel empty, the enemy will always want us to believe there are many things better than God's goodness. You know what he'll do? He'll, he'll encourage us to go out and try to find better things than God. That should sound like a very familiar story too, the story of the prodigal son who was perfectly satisfied in the father's house, but somewhere was tempted to believe certainly there's something outside of the father's house that's better than the father. And some people even in this room will spend decades of their lives looking for things better than Jesus and I'll go on record, there's nothing better than Jesus you will find the greatest satisfaction in Christ and in Christ alone. But when you're feeling empty, the enemy loves to minimize God's 
goodness, here's the third thing. Are you feeling tempted? Like, I know you are, and I know you will be, probably even this evening, probably even tomorrow morning. If you're feeling empty, he'll minimize Christ's abundance. In the temptation, the enemy will try to convince you that there's more abundance in lying. There's more abundance in gossiping. There's more abundance in sexual sin. There's more abundance in being angry towards somebody. There's more abundance in cheating. And so when that, that temptation is there, you're at that crossroads, the enemy loves to come in and minimize the abundance of, of Christ. But have you noticed that all of those things, lying and cheating and sexual sin, they leave us empty. They leave us broken or friendless or poor or distrusted. But the abundance of Christ always leaves us satisfied. Fourthly, what's the scheme of the enemy? When you're feeling guilty, he'll minimize Christ's mercy. When you feel guilty over your sin, you think, man, there's no way. I've done this sin so many times, there's no way God will forgive me. I've returned to this sin, this addiction, this stronghold so many times that there is no way God can forgive me in Christ Jesus. And the enemy loves to step in and say, you're exactly right. You have tapped out his mercy. There's no more mercy for you. Just stay in your sin now. Wallow in your sin. Stop struggling with your sin. Just live there. Feeling guilty, he'll minimize Christ's mercy. You may even feel guilty right now. Some of you may feel guilty in this room over disobedience from last year or something you did last night or something you're planning to do this week. You may feel that guilt even right now. Maybe you lied to someone. Maybe you stole something. If you're there right now and you have this, this sense of, of guilt, the enemy would love to, to come to you and for you to think that Christ's mercy is limited only to good church people or that the mercy of Christ has an end point for you in, in this life or, or Christ's mercy, again, has been tapped too often by you. But that's not the story of the cross. That's not the story of Jesus Christ bleeding out for you, so that the word of God comes to us in Hebrews chapter four and says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Christ's mercy for you, Christian, it's not minimized, it's maximized. Especially when you feel guilty over something that you have done. So let's wrap up this sermon with this very practical thought. How do we fight the battles? How are you going to fight battles this week? And let me just say in great love, if you choose not to fight a battle this week, you'll lose every time. To, to not fight is to lose. So how do, you, how do you fight the battles? Which honestly is probably the wrong question, but I'll help you understand that in a little bit. Up until this point in the book of Ephesians, Paul has only talked about walking. Let me show that to you. Your Bible's open, I'm assuming. Go back again uh, a page or two. Go to chapter two, verse 10. So Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. Up to this point in Ephesians, we've, we've, we've been told to walk a whole lot. <laughs> it's a repetition. It's, it's a theme here in, in the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, familiar verse, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jump down to chapter four, verse one. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Jump down, same chapter, 417, talk about walking. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You've been walking and the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Jump over one chapter, chapter five, verse two. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Same chapter, chapter five, verse, verse eight. At one time you were in darkness, but now you're, you are light in the Lord. Walk 
as children of, of light. Jump down the same chapter, chapter five, verse, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise. And so now we've been told to walk this entire book, but now we're, being, we're told to stand, to not give way, to, to not retreat. Don't, don't turn in the face of the enemy, you stand. So here's the first thing. For us, fighting is actually standing. The entire time, Paul's been telling us to walk. But when it comes to spiritual battle, he tells us, Stand. Now, let me make sure we're clear. I'm not asking you, the scripture's not asking you, God is not asking you to muster up some hidden unknown strength from deep within you. And if you've been trying to do that, it's not there. And you won't find it. We are told instead, verse 10, finally, to be strong in the Lord and, another preposition, in the strength of his might. So I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit in this sermon series and show you the strength of, of standing in battle. Standing as opposed to folding in fear or running in retreat. So go back, chapter 6, verse 11. We've already read verse 11. I'll go forward a little bit. So chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, there it is, against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand, same word in Greek, the word stand in Greek is histeme, withstand is anthistome, exact same word. So you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore. Four times. In battle, you stand. It's a battle term that you do not run away from your enemy. You stand ground against the enemy. In the raging battle, listen, in the raging battle, most people in this room, we lose because we turn and we run. Or we flinch. We retreat. And scripture right here is telling us, you do not run, you stand. In military history, modern history of man, there are many times the wisest thing to do in physical, militaristic strategies is to retreat. But there is never a wise time to turn and run away from your spiritual enemy. In fact, you will lose ground every time you retreat. What do you do? You stand. You stand your ground, which is actually God's ground. You hold your ground. You stand in God's word. You stand in prayer. You're probably familiar with the Battle of Stirling. I bet you've watched it in a movie before. The, the, the English versus the Scottish. The, the English cavalry is coming down, bearing upon the Scots. And William Wallace from Braveheart, as the cavalry is approaching his men, his army, the Scots, what does he do? He says, Hold! Hold, hold, he says it four times, hold, you stand your ground, do not give it up. Let me just say the father says the same things to his children. You stand, do not give up ground, do not turn away, do not flinch, you stand. You, you see, it's not us fighting necessarily, it's that we're standing in the victory, Christian, that is already won. So here's the second thing you need to know about fighting the battles. We stand on the power of God's word declared. This is probably where a lot of us in this room fail. 
We may quote scripture internally, but it's been aforementioned, the enemy doesn't read our minds or read our hearts. And so I am saying, when you are in battle, when you stand, declare God's word out loud. Where do we learn this from? Jesus. When he was in spiritual battle back in Matthew chapter four, and he was quite literally face to face with the enemy, he quoted scripture out loud from Isaiah and from Deuteronomy. And that, that was his battle strategy. He stood and he declared the word of God. And this is what I'm encouraging every sister and every brother in this room to do this week. When you're in battle, you stand. Don't run. Don't retreat. Don't give in to sin. Stand. You stand in the victory that God has already given you. And secondly, you declare the word of God out loud. What, what, what word do we declare out loud? Super glad you asked because I have four things for you. It's on the screen. Four scriptures that you can use this week. Write these references down. Take a picture of it. Just learn one of them if you want to. Here it is. Psalm 28, 7. This week, when you're standing face to face with the enemy in battle, say out loud, the Lord is my strength and my shield. And my heart, my heart trusts in him. And I am helped. So my heart rejoices and I will pray him with song. Up until World War I, men sang songs as they went out to battle. From the Old Testament all the way to World War I, it happened even in the Civil War, men would sing songs as they went into battle. I'm encouraging you. When you're standing face to face this week in, in, in a battle, in a temptation, you know the enemy's in front of you, you're in a spiritual battle, for you to declare God's word and maybe just do right here what, 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 what David says. I praise him with, with song. Few things quench temptation like just, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. For you old timers, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I mean, to, to, to sing out, out loud, to share scripture out, out loud, having a brand new song. I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. And no matter what comes my way, I will overcome. Preacher, you... You sound really, really weird that you're singing to us right now. I'm, I'm just telling you, when I fight my battles, I say scripture out loud and I sing out loud. And you're saying, I won't do that. Let me ask you this. How's the battles going for you? I mean, I'm saying declare scripture out loud and sing a song to the Lord aloud. First John 5, verse 4 is another great verse to say out loud. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You just declare that out, out loud. How about 1 Corinthians 15, 57? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, it's not some, some victory that you're clawing toward, Christian. It's a victory that you have been given in Christ Jesus. So declare the word of God aloud. Here's a brand new one. I just put it into my phone about three weeks ago. 2 Samuel 22, two, the Lord is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my deliverer. In fact, I wrote in here, these are fighting words. That's the title of my notes right here, fighting words. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, the God of my strength, and him I will trust, my shield, my stronghold, and my refuge, my savior. It is you who saves me. I just have this on my phone, so when I'm tempted, I just, I just say that out, out loud. 
We, we live in a world that's, that uses the, the word my in unhealthy ways, but here's eight spiritually healthy ways in which it is used. My rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my strength, my shield, my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. Thirdly, lastly, we stand in the power of God's might in prayer. This is power accessed. Christian, this is the relationship you have with the Father, the creator of all things, the majesty on high through the Son, Jesus Christ. Have you noticed it's impossible to pray and to lie at the same time? Have you noticed it's impossible to, to pray and to go to a godless website at the same time? Have you noticed it's impossible to, to pray and to be angry or to be gossipy at the same time, to be arrogant at the same time? It's really impossible to be selfish, prideful, angry, unforgiving, and, and pray at the same time. And instead of a lot of explanation of this third and last point of how we battle, we stand in the power of God's might in prayer, we're just gonna have some good time for us to pray. For you to pray. Would you stand with me, please? We're gonna sing a couple of songs, give you time. I would encourage you, I'd challenge you. I know it's a packed house today. But maybe at some point in these next two songs, you want to come and just kneel before the Lord and battle in prayer. I mean, battle over your heart. Battle over the heart of your family. Battle for purity. Battle for freedom. I would encourage you, if it's been a long time since you were on your knees before the Lord, in battle, because prayer is battle, that you would come and just kneel before him and, and battle up here. There's gonna be some prayer leaders, some of our staff members and spouses will be here at the front. If he wants to come and do battle with you, we'd love to pray with you, pray over you, to encourage you in scripture, to encourage you in prayer. If you're here today and you're dealing with, with sickness, with illness, with, with a health situation, even a mental health situation, our elders would love to pray over you. We'll have elders far right, far left in the corners of this room and they will anoint you with oil just as James chapter five tells us to do. 2023 is gonna be a tragic year for Highland if we just become a stoic church that never moves. It's gonna be a tragic year for us if we don't learn how to pray and to kneel before the Lord, to submit ourselves to him, to battle in prayer. Prayer is battle, prayer is war. And there is an enemy that would love to steal and kill and destroy this very moment in this very room. There's also a God who has sent his son to give us life and to give it to us in the fullness. So let's battle. And we'd love to battle with you. Let's seek the Lord. As we sing, as we seek him. If you don't know what to pray, there's gonna be some some prayer request on the lower thirds of, of the screen. You can just pray. Just stop singing for a little bit if you want to and just pray. Intercede for the, these requests. Celebrate the, the celebrations that you'll see on the screen. But engage. Let's engage with the Lord. Let's, let's battle 